Father, we want to praise you so much because you are good. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, the east, the west, the north, the south. Lord, you have redeemed us and we have a story to tell, a story that is ours tonight as a church. That once we were lost, once we were sinners against you, once we were in slavery, we were in bondage, once we were foolish, once we were thrown around by just the suffering of this world, but now you have redeemed us, you've made us your own, you walk us through this suffering, you deliver us from our sin, you deliver us from captivity to Satan. And that is our story. You are good and your love endures forever. And I pray that as we open up your word, we would celebrate that tonight, we would see that, especially as we look at these psalms of lament and of sadness. May we still be able to sing that story, that your love is good and it endures forever. We pray for our brother Tim Farron, and we praise you for the stand that he's taken today for Christ. Thank you that in his speech he's been so bold. Every paragraph is about you. That is so rare today in our political sphere. And we pray that his stand for you today would, would bring great glory to you. Lord, we ask that there would be a, a change in our public discourse, that um, Christianity wouldn't be thought to be stupid, um, but rather that Christ would be seen to be wonderful and glorious. Help us as a church to weather um, the storms of persecution well, to weather the storms of marginalisation well. I pray that we would learn lessons from what's happened to Tim Farron and that with him we would count our allegiance to Christ more important than any allegiance this world has to offer. Because we know that when you return, you will say to us, good and faithful servant, well done. So we pray for him that you would uphold him in his family and keep him strong in the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great, so we've been thinking about how to do devotional times, and we're back around to method two tonight, which you're going to do in your studies. Um, But we're using the Psalms. Just a reminder of the kind of structure of the Psalms. We've seen these really major characters of the righteous, the blessed, those who follow God and are are saved by him. They take refuge in in God's Son. Um, The unrighteous, those who rebel and are still holding out against God. We've seen the Word of God as a character. The Lord enthroned the glorious one who's in control of all things and the king so often it's david but we know that that points forward to the greater david king jesus and um we've just hit in our little books in your morning devotionals book five i hope you enjoyed book four there's a lot about the lord reigns what are, what are known as the enthronement psalms so many about god wraps himself in light he's he's in the throne room he's clothed in holiness and righteousness that it's an awesome vision of god's God reigning. And then this final book, book five, really takes a really positive turn. It's, it's, there's so many which say, praise the Lord, alleluia, alleluia, praise Yahweh, alleluia, Yahweh, praise God. It's all over those Psalms. We're going to think more about those next week. So enjoy, I hope in the mornings, praising God for all that he is and all that he's done. And tonight we're going to be thinking, um, as we have been in our in our talks about how to read the Psalms. There's all sorts of different Psalms, which can be hard. They're very different. They do different things. And we think about how to read them. We thought about the king, when the king pops up, how the king is both our example as the kind of ideal believer, but also the king does unique things. He wins our victory for us. We thought about 
um, judgment, the cause for judgment in the Psalms, and, and how do we read that? How do we understand that? We thought about Christ in the Psalms. How do we go from Old Testament about all sorts of things here to the hope of Christ? We thought about how Christ is God, so everything that's true about God is fulfilled and made clear in Christ. We thought about all these different types, these different ideas of temple and sacrifice and, um, and rescue and how they, these are ideas that flow throughout the Bible from books like the Psalms and all find their hold in one, if you remember the golfing analogy, <clears throat> in Christ. And tonight we're going to think about something that's quite difficult. We're going to think about suffering and lament in the Psalms. I want you to imagine um, being out on a beautiful day like this, enjoying the sun, and it's just warming your skin and um, bringing you joy, maybe having a picnic with some friends. But then you know sometimes when you're in the sun and suddenly, especially being in England, the clouds just, they just gather. The clouds are just there. And you know how really quickly you go from being warm to, whoa, you're just cold. You just feel your skin go cold. You can't feel the sun's warmth anymore. Think about the Christian life, how one minute you're enjoying God's love, you know he loves you because Christ died for you. you. You think, I'm his child. He works all things for my good. He's not angry with me anymore. He's providing for me. And then just like that, the clouds gather. The clouds of suffering and hard times. And instantly, you feel the warmth just disappear. All of a sudden, God seems to be taking away from you, not providing. He seems to be frowning on you. You don't feel the warmth anymore that you would as a child. It feels like you're being treated like an enemy of God. And then do you find your heart responding, just crying out? That's called lamenting, lamenting. And about a third of the Psalms are laments. The clouds gather, the warmth, the sun, the warmth of God's goodness is hidden. And God's people cry out. That's a lament, they cry out. So we're going to think tonight about what can we learn from the Psalms about how to respond when the clouds gather. How can we use the Psalms in those times or praying for others who are suffering? I want to start by seeing that there are two foundations. We'll start with the first one, of course. Two foundations that the psalmists believe that undergird how they lament and cry out in their suffering. The first belief is this, that God is in control of suffering. God is in control of suffering. They say to God over and over, we're going to see this tonight, they say, you're rejecting me. They don't say, God, do you have any idea who's doing this? Because it's not you. They address God and say things like, how long will you take me through this suffering? They address God. They say, it feels like rejection. It feels like, even sometimes the Psalms say, it feels like your wrath is against me. My experience looks like you're angry with me. You're treating me like you treat someone who's not a believer outside of your people. You're doing this, God. When the thick, dark clouds gather, the psalmists believe God's ultimately in control of that. He doesn't give up his rule at that point. Which leads on to the second foundational belief. God is in control of its end. God is in control of the end of the suffering too. If the psalmist didn't believe that the God who's in control of the affliction is able to end it one day, he wouldn't bother praying, would he? If you didn't believe God could take it away, you wouldn't bother praying. You, you ask for help from the one who has the capability of doing something, don't you? So to say to God, what are you doing, God, assumes that if he's in control of bringing the suffering, he's in control of taking it away as well. God, please take this away. 
believes he can. And God doesn't say when they cry out, um, God, take this away. He doesn't go, why are you asking me? I've got nothing to do with this. No, the one in control is the one who can help. So the psalmist cry out to God to end the suffering because of this firm foundational belief that only God is able to end suffering. It drives them to God in lament. I know you're the only one who can take this away, so I'm going to pray to you. Okay, those are the foundational beliefs. I want you to turn to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. We're going to use this as our little kind of example lament. It's very short, um, and it, it has a lot of the um, elements of a lament. Page 548. Page 548, Psalm 13. So with these foundations in place, God's in control of this suffering. He can take it away. We see often these different elements in the laments, and I want you to see these so that when you come to read them, you know your way around them, and I'll help you understand. Psalm 13, page 548, let me read. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Okay, let's look at some of the elements of lament. First thing we often see are questions. And, and our psalm here starts with a string of them, these how long questions. And these questions flow from a secure place of being one of God's people. That's the foundation of these questions. Verse 1, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Is saying, God, this doesn't make sense. You're supposed to, you're supposed to remember me because I'm one of your people, but it looks like you're forgetting me. And it looks like there's no end. As one of your people, I'm supposed to see your smiling face, but your face is hidden, do you see? It doesn't fit what should be true as one of God's people. You're supposed to be looking at me with a smile, but I can't see your face. How long is this going to last? Verse 2, the questions continue. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And then how long will my enemies triumph over me? This is David speaking, the king. I'm the king and my enemies are, they're not supposed to win. That's not how it's supposed to be. But my experience is that they're winning. What's going on, God? Do you see the questions flow? I know that this should be true, that I'm the king and I should be winning. But my experience is the opposite. Questions flow. How long will this experience continue, which goes against my reality of being one of your children? I think how long is a very interesting question. We saw it in Habakkuk, didn't we? What does how long assume? What does the question assume? If I say, how long until lunch? I assume lunch is on the way. That makes me very happy. I ask how long because I assume it's going to come. When, you know, John T is making me lunch. Very nice. How long, John T? I'm hungry. See, how long isn't a hopeless or faithless question. It's a hopeful and faithful question. If I say to God, how long until you end this suffering, I assume that the suffering is going to end. How long? I know it's coming. 
when, Lord? Why can we assume that suffering will one day end? Because to be treated this way by God can't go on forever. Because I'm saved. I'm one of his children. This isn't how it ends for me. This isn't going to go on forever because I'm one of his. And this isn't, this isn't the eternal destiny of one of his children, suffering forever. So we say, I know it's going to end. How long? Do you see how this is actually a hopeful question? It's painful, but it's hopeful. I know that because of Christ, I'm a child of God. He will not condemn me. Therefore, I know that what feels like your anger against me will not last forever. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So when's it going to end? I know this isn't how it ends for me because of Christ. I know that the clouds won't block out your warmth forever because of Christ. I know the sun shines behind the cloud. How long before the cloud moves? I know it will. See, what you know of God to be true drives your question. How long? If you know that God's on your side because of Christ, you'll ask, and I want to encourage you, it's good to ask, how long until I experience your smile again, God? That's the first thing we often get, questions. Next up we get descriptions we get a description have a look at um verse two how long must i wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart how long will my enemy triumph over me you see he's he's telling god what the situation uh, just go back to psalm 12 which is kind of more of a corporate lament help lord for no one is faithful anymore those who are loyal have vanished from the human race everyone lies to their neighbor do you see how the psalmist just lays out god this is what's going on Here's the situation. It's important to tell God what's happening. It feels obvious, but he cares about the detail. For us as believers to express, look, God, this is how I see what's going on, is so important for us. It gives us perspective, helps us get a handle on what's going on, but more importantly, it makes us honest with God. This is how I see it, God. This is what's happening. God's not a robot. He's no robot. He wants you to talk to him. Say it how it is, he says. Tell me what's going on. He knows already, but he wants to hear it from you. You're his child. So the Psalms lay out the situation. So we have questions. How long will this happen? Which come from this place of an assumption that it one day has got to change. We get a description, and then we get an appeal. An appeal. And this is really important. It makes up a big chunk of a lot of these laments. An appeal. Go back to our situation where you're enjoying the sun, you're having a little picnic, and then the clouds gather. When the sun goes behind the clouds and it turns dark, you don't figure to yourself, huh, I think the sun just stopped existing. Ah, the sun must have just stopped being warm all of a sudden. Now, the sun hasn't stopped being warm. you stopped experiencing its warmth. And they're two different things. We, we actually say, don't we, oh, it's, uh, the sun stopped shining. The sun hasn't stopped shining. You just can't see it shine anymore. So when suffering comes, the psalmist doesn't pack in his beliefs about God's warmth, who he is, what he does. He laments that he can't see it, but he does this. He appeals to what he knows is still true, even though he can't see it. And then based on what he knows is true, but he doesn't feel is true, he appeals to God to do something. Have a look at verse 5. Do you see the turning point in the psalm of Psalm 13? But I trust 
in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Wait a minute. A moment ago, Mr. David, writing Psalm 13, a moment ago, God had forgotten you forever and his face was hidden from you. And now you're saying, oh, your unfailing love's really nice. Which is it? Is God hidden from you or do you know his unfailing love? Which one? This is the difference between the clouds and the reality behind the clouds. When he looks at the clouds of suffering, he says, where is your love? But then he appeals to what he knows is behind the clouds. Unfailing love. I, I know your unfailing love is still there. The sun still shines behind those clouds. If you've ever flown um, in a plane, obviously, because it's hard to fly other ways, um, and you may take off and it's, and it's raining, it's pouring, and so on, and then you go through the clouds and then whew, you lift above the clouds and you just, it's just beautiful and the sun is shining and the, the clouds are white. Down below it could be pouring with rain, but as soon as you go behind the clouds, you see the sun shining in all its brightness. That's what the psalmist looks to. That's what he trusts in. Even more, he rejoices in, in the middle of the tears. Behind the cloud of suffering, God is still who he is. His unfailing love remains. The sun still shines. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Have you ever understood what that line means? The veil? It's the veil. You can't see God's smile. But even when darkness hides his lovely smiling face because you're suffering so much, your anchor holds. Why? On Christ, this solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Often the psalmist backs up their faith. They appeal to something God has done in salvation or something in the past. So sometimes they go, I'll appeal to this. I don't feel it now, but I know you're the good creator. They go back to creation. Or they do this, and you're going to see this in your psalm later. They go back to the exodus, the rescue of God's people out of Egypt, and go, it feels like you're not a saving God, but I know that you rescue God's people out of Egypt. I know you're a saving God. They appeal to what God has done. What do we appeal to? Christ died for me. He rose from the dead. That I'm in pain with what you're doing right now, God, and it feels like you're against me. I know that you love me because of Christ. I know that behind the clouds you smile because Jesus died for me. He's my solid rock. He's my solid ground. As another hymn puts it, behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. So in our suffering, join the Psalms and appeal to the fact of God's smile because Jesus died for you. That's the appeal. Next, we often get the plea. The plea. So based on this appeal, I know what you're like even though I don't feel it. They ask God to do something. Look at verse 3. Look on me. Do you see? He's, asking, he's requesting, pleading. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemies will say, I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. In verse 1 they said, your face is hidden. And so he says, now look on me. I know you love me. And my enemies will gloat. They'll, they'll think that you're weak. Please, 
Do this, change it. Psalm 74 is another one. Don't turn there now, but I counted. There are 12 pleas within that psalm. Rise up, God. Remember your covenant, God, your promise. Defend your glory. People are mocking you. Don't let the weak be oppressed. Don't ignore what's going on. They make requests. Can I ask when you're suffering, do you fill your prayers with direct pleas to God to do something about it? I think that we think it's rude. Yeah? God you know we can we can say God I'm feeling really sad and I find this really hard but it's a little bit presumptive to come towards to God and say God end this suffering take it away take this illness away or whatever it is it's not rude it's highly honoring to God because those pleas God do something are based on what you know what God is like God I know you're just I just can't feel the justice right now. I don't experience it. Will you bring an end to ISIS? I know you love me. I don't feel your love right now. But appealing to that, bring an end to my illness. I know you're the comforter, but I can't see through my grief. Will you comfort me? Appeal directly to God that honors him, because he can do it. So I encourage you to take these psalms when you're suffering or friends are suffering and you don't know what to pray. Take the pleas of the suffering. They're very God-honoring pleas. And take them on your lips. God, will you end this? Will you remember your covenant? Will you be kind to me? So we get the pleas, the direct requests. We have questions. How long? We describe what's going on. There's an appeal to truth, to past events of salvation. We have the pleas. Now, God, do something. Final thing. Looking through. (coughs) Looking through. Don't miss verse 6. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. So many of the laments end with some kind of, then I will sing. He hasn't come out of the suffering at this point in verse 6. He's looking forward through the clouds. In faith, he can see through to a different future. I will praise God. Why will he praise God? This bit's odd. Look, I will sing the Lord's praise, for he passed, tense, has been good to me. That's odd. He's still in the suffering. He's talking about the future when he's going to praise God. He's so confident that God's going to do something that he talks about it as if it's already happened. I will praise you because it's as good as done. I know you're going to, I know you're going to act. He's so confident that God's hidden goodness will shine through one day. He talks as if it's already happened. I will sing because it's as good as done. I know you're going to be good to me. And I really want to encourage you when when you're going through suffering, you may be going through this now, or when you're walking with people you love, you need to fight. And I really mean fight to see through the dark clouds, to see through to a, a different future which will one day come when the clouds will part and you will see God's smile. Christ has secured God's smile for you. He died on the cross to pay for your sin. God smiles upon you. And that's so secure that you know one day this suffering will end. What you're experiencing right now will not go on forever. It can't because Christ suffered for me. Now, it may be that the clouds part in this life and you'll see God smile again and you will rejoice. 
Or you may have to wait until the day when Christ returns, when the clouds literally will part and Christ will come down and he'll say, don't cry. You can see my smiling face now. We will sing the Lord's praise. That's a fact of the future for us. So I hope these psalms can be a blessing to you. I want to encourage you to follow the journey of the psalmist. they, They go through journeys on these psalms. From crying out to laying out the situation to appealing to God's character and his past acts of salvation to bringing the plea that God will do something to looking to the future and saying I know it's going to change and one day I'll praise him follow that journey take it on your own lips and know that Christ went through Gethsemane the cross the hope of resurrection and one day he will return so what we're going to do now, I'm going to pray in a moment, but we're going to, in our studies, we're going to look at Psalm 77, which is a lament, and I hope you'll see lots of these elements in there. So let what we've seen, I'll leave this up on the screen, let these be your guide as you, as you work your way through. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of the Psalms. Thank you that in our suffering we're not alone. We actually stand with thousands of years of believers who have experienced the same pain that we experience same illness sadness, grief, betrayal sin but they've also experienced the same smile the same sovereign Lord your goodness which one day will win through thank you that there isn't a single believer in history who you have abandoned but you are always faithful And I praise you that we have the cross, oh, the cross, that we can look on that and know that even when a thick, dark fog of suffering surrounds us, we can see Christ died and rose, and so we are your children. Lord, I pray for those of us here who are suffering and those who we love who are going through dark times. Please bring us the relief and the joy of crying out to you. Bring us the, um, the comfort of knowing that you hear us through Christ. And please, please, please bring us the hope of being able to say, one day I will sing your praises because you will be good to us. And we look forward to that day when the clouds will part and all we will see is your beautiful smile and favour. Bless us now as we open up your word. Minister to us. and Help us to understand. Help us to minister to each other as, a, as the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.